fruits of the spirit and and it, it's all about perspective. You got to understand that the same sun that melts butter also hardens the clay. That's right. You can take what you get in life and allow it to make you bitter and become offended or and become a victim. Or you can allow it to soften your spirit and you can start to bear fruits of love and joy and peace and kindness and gentleness and patience and long suffering. Second Corinthians 4, 17 says, for our present troubles, the trouble you're dealing with right now, not the one you had a month ago, that's fine. The, one you, the present trouble is, is, is small and won't last very long. You say, well, what I'm going through right now is not very small. In the grand scheme of things, it probably is very small. It says, yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. Your trouble has purpose in your life. Keeping the right attitude's hard to do. I'm going to say that again. Keeping the right attitude is hard to do. But it's a choice. Somebody say choice. It's a choice. It's always been about a choice. Pastor, there was two trees in the garden. It's in the Bible. They had a choice. They didn't have to go to the tree that they went to. They, it, there's two trees. There, there's options available. There's a choice. Joshua 24, 15. And if it is evil in, your, the, in the eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether your gods the Father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It's a choice. But as for me and my house. I'll just go out on a limb and tell you, there ain't no choice at my house. Your house might be one, not no choice at my house. As for me and mine, we will serve the Lord. You have to make a choice if you're going to be a positive person or a negative person. So I'm going to talk to some negative persons tonight. Your goal should be to stay positive. We go through phases in life of, of transition, moving from one place to the next. And oftentimes when we're in transition from one place to the next, you sometimes lose track of seeing the acres of diamonds in your life. You're moving from one place to the next, and so you, it's hard to see what around you at the present moment is of value. So before I begin, I want you to think of just a moment of if you are in a place of transition... From one place to the next in your own life. Are you moving from where you are to where God wants you to be? A place of transition oftentimes looks like a new job. You may have recently gotten a new job. And you're starting to adjust to a paycheck or a new house or a change in benefits or something in work environment. That's a transition. A new relationship. Moving from being single to in a relationship. Moving from in a relationship to being single. A new marriage. Moving from being separated in separate homes to married and living together. Moving from being a teenager to an adult. Going from employed to retired. Going from no job to job. There's seasons of transition in your life everywhere you turn you're moving from one place to the next so I'm going to talk a moment tonight about my transition maybe your transition to come here to this church covenant church I'll talk a little bit about mine I'm going to take the mask off for you a little bit 
Many of you may be new here, and by new here, I mean being here less than a year. That's still new to me. Still getting acclimated to things. It's a season of transition for my family and I to come here. Going to a new church is a season of transition. Being in a new church with a new people is a season of transition when you've been somewhere for a while. Coming here has definitely been a blessing. It was not what we expected. I've told you this before. I tell you again, didn't want to come here. Wasn't planning on coming here, just coming to visit my friends. I just wanted to come be in service with them, and God had different plans. But coming here is I have to learn in this season of transition a new flow, a new style. It's now 40 minutes for me to get to church as opposed to I've always been used to driving five minutes down the road and be at church. It's a season of growth for us. You may not know this, but my wife and I have led in ministry for a long time, but we've never sang together until we came here. Ever. My wife and my daughter and I together have never sang together until we stepped foot in this church. It's a season of transition. It's a season of growth. As a matter of fact, you might not know this, but we sat down at the piano for the first time at my house and we just looked at each other and I said, I have no clue what key y'all sing in and neither do I. Not one clue. So what I'm trying to say is during these seasons of transition, it can be very easy to lose sight of the acres of diamonds in our life. It could be very easy for me to say that I have too much going on in my personal life and I don't have time to think about songs each week and study and prepare to teach or preach. It could be very easy for me to complain about having to come on Monday nights and practice and Wednesday nights for church and on Sunday mornings by 9.30 to practice. My attitude can get out of line quick in a season of transition, something I'm not used to. My attitude can get bent out of shape because I'm used to playing with a full band. If you don't know anything about music, that's bold rotten. If you've got a full band, you don't even have to play. They just start and you can just join in when you get ready. I could let that ruin my attitude because it's a season of transition. It's not that this is not a blessing. It's just a season of transition. It's different for me. I have to allow people to get to know me again, and that's fun within itself. I've been at the same church for six years, and then I'd shift and transition, and it took me a long time to get them used to me, and now, now it's all different. I've got different people, and we have to learn each other all over again. I get to offend people that I don't even know their names anymore all over again. I get to make people upset with me with a song choice and a volume level. I get to have people come up to me and tell me what they do like and what they don't like. I get to have my integrity questioned and character questioned because of season of transition. You say that happens? Yes, it does. I promise you, it'd blow your mind. In a season of transition, my attitude can get out of line quick. And if you're honest, yours probably can too. You see, we, we get to the place where we, we live this picture-perfect life for everybody else to see. Other people have a picture-perfect life unless you're in their house. 
the white picket fence and the perfectly manicured lawn and the hardworking and romantic husband and the precious sweet wife with awesome cooking skills with the beautiful sweet children who never misbehave and get perfect grades until reality sets in. And then you realize the grass is knee high, the white fence is broken, and it don't even belong to you. It belongs to the neighbor. And the house needs repair, and the AC's going out, and the car's got every light on it like a Christmas tree, and the children ignore the dishes and the trash when they walk in, and they don't have good grades all the time. They hate reading, they hate doing homework, and every day is a battle to go to school. The husband works 90 hours a week and has no time to do anything, and is called upon by everybody in the entire community. The wife hates cooking and hates cleaning the laundry is sky high on the couch and the dogs never stop barking does anybody want to come to my house because that's exactly what it sounds like please don't ever let the suit and the bow tie and the shoes blind you to what really happens at my house my attitude can get out of line quick we do not live in a facebook perfect instagram perfect world but reality presents us with two choices. If we're not careful, you, we can allow our reality to impact our relationship with God and hinder our vision to the acres of diamonds around us. When the unrealistic picture that we have in our mind starts to break apart and shatter, the enemy shows up. When you get a real picture of who I am, the enemy will show up. When I get a real picture of who you are, the enemy shows up. He likes to show up when you're weak and when you're tired and when you're hungry and when you're distracted and when you're alone. The enemy shows up to tell you things like you made a mistake. You done messed up. What did you just do? Why did you get married? It's time to give up. You can't afford it. You went to the altar this morning and looked like a fool. How can you lay hands on people? God ain't even happy with you. You didn't read your Bible and pray at all this week. You're a terrible Christian. You'll never be able to reach your goal. If you think for one second the enemy hasn't shown up and told me every one of those things, I'm here to tell you that it happens often. If you think for one second the enemy hasn't come to me and told me a million times that I made a mistake by moving my family here to this church, you, you, you're mistaken. He does it often. If you think for one second he doesn't show up and tell people all the time, that, that tell us all the time that people don't like us, I'm here to tell you that he does often. The reality is, yes, we get motivation from people around us all the time. And my wife and I are so thankful for everybody in this church that motivates us and continues to, to pour into us and speak blessing over us. But the enemy also shows up when we're tired and worn out and we've got a million things going on. And then we get to the place, if we're not careful, our spirit will overlook the acres of diamonds around us. I can only preach from my perspective this morning or this afternoon. I'm hoping that you can just follow along with what I feel and my perspective to hear. Because I feel like if I share my heart with you, you can, you can get on board and attach it to your own life. I don't know what happens in your white picket fence house. But in mine, it is hell in a handbasket sometimes. 
You see, we got to come here in this direction and have this opportunity because at one point in one season in our life, we prayed for it and asked for it. I'm going somewhere with that. Be careful what you prayed for two years ago. God promised us that we would go in a new direction in a new season. And when he made that promise, I didn't know what that looked like. But I held on to it. Because his promises are yes and amen. So I knew it meant something and we were going somewhere. I just didn't know where or what or when and how. But I promise you that we've had a positive report since being here. And I promise you that we've also had a negative report since being here. Both. I ain't been here seven months. Both positive and negative. So what do you do when you get a promise and a negative report at the same time? When the nation of Israel was coming out of the wilderness and they were close to crossing over to the promised land, they were in a season of transition. The promise was right there in front of them, but a spirit of negative had come amongst their company. You would think by now they would have learned their lesson. You would think by now they'd have it together. You'd think by now because their shoes weren't worn out, they would know that God's promises are true and we don't have to be negative. Deuteronomy 29 and 5 says, I have led you for 40 years in the wilderness and your clothes have not worn out and neither your sandals have been worn off your feet. I don't know about you, but that's God right there. How can you stand in sandals 40 years old that still appear brand new and God has done all of that and yet you still question the promise? They never went hungry. They didn't get scorched by the sun or freeze at night. Exodus 13 and 21. The Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud and led them along the way and by night in a pillar of fire and led them by light so that they might travel both day and night. You'd think by now they would have seen the hand God move over and over and over. You mean to tell me, yes, I've sat behind many piano and I have seen the hand of God move over and over and over. I've seen demons leave the church. I've cast demons out myself. I've seen God pay bills that I didn't know he could pay. And I've seen God show up in ways I never thought was possible. And I still get a negative report. And here they are on the edge of their promised land and the negative grows louder and louder because the closer you get to your breakthrough, the harder the enemy works. So let's see what happens. If you want to go with me in Numbers chapter 13. My pastor says, that's my favorite. I'll call him and say, I'm preaching out of Numbers. He said, oh God, that's my favorite. I say, Pastor, I'm preaching out of Luke. Oh, that's my favorite. <laughs> Numbers chapter 13, verse 1 through 3. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the people of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers you shall send a man, every one a chief among them. So Moses sent them from the wilderness of Paran according to the command of the Lord. All the men who were heads of the people of Israel, 12 tribes, sent 12 individuals. 
The Lord gives clear instruction to transition here. He tells Moses to send out these people into this land of Canaan. And notice how he says something they already should know. He says, the land I'm giving them. Well, they've been told that forever. They've heard that over and over and over. The promise, the promise, the promise. He gives clear instructions. Send one leader from each of the 12 tribes. So Moses did what the Lord commanded. But here's what's interesting. If you study a little bit in scripture, you'll find that the only reason why the Lord commanded that the 12 be sent into the land to, to spy it out was that they prayed about it in Deuteronomy 1. The people asked God to send them into the land to scope it out. So here we are with a situation that the Lord is answering their prayer. They prayed a while ago. And they get into a mess with a negative report. Here is the Lord affirming their desire, giving them what they asked for, and commanding Moses to send them. How can I have a negative mindset in a place God sent me because I prayed for it? It goes on to Numbers 13, verse 17 to 24. I'll jump down a little bit. Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan and said to them, Go up into the Negev and go into the hill country and see what the land is. Rather, the people who dwell in it are strong or weak, whether they are few or many. Rather, the land that they dwell in is good or bad. Whether the cities that they dwell in are camps or strongholds, whether the land is rich or poor, whether there's trees or not, be of good courage and bring some of the fruit of the land. Now the time was the season for the first ripe grapes. There's grapes right there. Coming back to it. So they went up and they spied out this land and they go to all of these places that, that God tells them to go. And they go all the details. I'm not going to bore you with all the names, okay? But there's a list of names there and they go all the way through these names. And, and, and they get to this place called the Valley of Eshkol. And Eshkol means cluster. And they cut down from there a branch with a single cluster of grapes. And they carried it on a pole between two of them. That's some big old grapes. I'm just letting you know that's some big grapes. They also brought some pomegranates and figs. That place was called the Valley of Eshkol because the cluster that the people of Israel cut down from there. The men were tasked with a commission. It was a commission they had prayed for in Deuteronomy 1, and the Lord answered it. Moses dispatched 12 spies to go and scout out the promise, the land of Canaan. But these men were tasked with assessing the land in addition to uh, seeing if the people were, were strong or weak, and, and whether there were a lot of them or just a little bit of them, and whether the land they dwelt on was good or bad, and whether the cities that they dwelt on were little small camps or they were big fortitude cities, whether they were rich or poor, whether there were good trees or not good trees. And then he said, but be of good courage. Right in the middle of these instructions, he says, be of good courage. The first thing you need to know that 
with your commission has to come courage. Because if you don't have the courage to venture into the commission, you are not going to come out on the other side a positive person. Verse 20 said, be of good courage and bring some fruit back. Moses tells them right in the middle, have courage. Before, you're not going to talk to me, Siri, hush. Before they would face their challenge, he wanted them to be armed with courage. What is courage? Courage is the ability to do something that scares you. It means do it afraid. The strength to face it in the pain. The strength to face it whenever it's hard and challenging and when you're tired. The Bible says that the, we are to trust in the Lord for our courage. The biblical meaning is to rely on him for strength and not you. So God's saying the same thing to us today. We have to do what we're doing in the strength of the Lord. If you do what you do in your strength, you're going to fail every time. Whatever situation, whatever battle, whatever mountain you face, whatever the challenge is in your life, you've got to have courage. Joshua 1, 9 through 11, this is my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. 1 Corinthians 16 and 13, be on guard, stand firm in the faith, be courageous and be strong. You've got to have some courage in your life. Do we have courageous Christians today? Or are we scared to death? Because if we're not courageous, if we don't have courage, if we go in with the wrong mindset, this is what comes out on the other side. Numbers 13, 25 to 29. We're going to jump down just a little bit more. At the end of 40 days, they returned from spying out the land. And they came to Moses and Aaron in the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness. And they brought back word to them that all the congregation, to all the congregation. And they showed them the fruit. And they told him, we have come to the land which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey. Why were you surprised? The Lord told you that from the beginning. They gave that report. They said it flows with milk and honey and here's the fruit. However. You ever been near some people that say however? Or but? They said here you go however. That's like me looking at my wife saying, that's a cute dress, but you know it's going downhill from here. However, he said, however, the people who dwell in the land are strong. You ever looked at your situation and said, however, I know you can move God, but. The people there are strong and the cities are fortified and they're very large. And besides, we saw descendants of Anak there. That's giants, in case you don't know. The Amalekites dwell in the land of Negeb, and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites dwell in this hill country, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea along the Jordan. So when they came back, they had the spirit of discouragement. You prayed for it. God sent you into it, and you came back with this mess. 
They came back discouraged at something that they wanted to do. I would be lying to you if I tell you that I have always wanted to sing and lead and be with my family in church. But if you think for one second I don't get discouraged some days, it happens. There have been days, Pastor, I've wanted to send you a message say, I'm not coming back. That's just me being honest. They came back with a report that would discourage anybody to step into the land. They had what the scriptures call an evil report. It says the report that came, that, that came back with them was an evil report. The report that came against you in your life that is contrary to the word of God is an evil report. So whatever report you have in your life at this moment, in this season, right now, if it does not line up with the word of God, it is an evil report. And it is related to your spirit of discouragement and why you can find yourself on the mountain one day and in the valley the next day. Because you got to get that report right on out of the way. Moses had to ask them to not only assess the land and its people, but to bring back some fruit. The land was so fertile and it was so flowing with milk and honey. And that doesn't mean literal milk and literal honey. It just means that it was an abundance that you can't wrap your mind around. It was flowing so much that the grapes they had had to be carried by two people. When the spies showed Moses the fruit, the first thing they told him was positive. They said, yeah, it's flowing with milk and honey, but nevertheless, you can tell the giants in someone's life by the way they talk. We know all 12 of them had just been somewhere, right? But we know by the way they talk what they had saw. You can tell the giants in someone's life by the way they speak. I don't even have to look at your giants. I didn't have to go to the land. I can just hear you talking, and I know there's some there. They said, nevertheless. They said things like, the people who live there are so powerful. Some of them are giants. They said that we're like grasshoppers to them. The city is so big, it's impenetrable. You can't beat it. In your shoes that haven't worn out. The spies had just one good thing to say about the land. That's all, just one. They knew every detail of the negative. But just one good thing. You can recognize people that have the spirit of negative around them because they can tell you one good thing and then they can point out the details of the bad. Negative people seek to gather information to support their position. They ignore good information and overemphasize the bad. I told you you might not like me at the end of this. This might be my last Wednesday. <laughs> out of the ten spies, out of the ten people that go in out, out, of, out of these out of these groups of these individuals that go in only two you you got all of these leaders that go in only two have a 
good report. Only two refused to be in the negative side of things. Someone say, Lord, please let me be more like Caleb and Joshua. Yes. I need some Caleb's and some Joshua's with me everywhere I go. Caleb is representing the tribe of Judah, which means praise. Hint number one. If you want to know why he was not in the negative, it's because he come from praise. You want to get yourself out of the negative, just start praising God. You want to get yourself out of discouragement, just shout all the way through your house. If you want to get yourself out of the valley, lift up your hands and say, though he slay me, yet I still praise him and give God glory anyhow. Caleb comes from the tribe which is of praise, meaning that he knows nothing else but praise. He's known as the one who truly follows God. The only other individuals in the Bible that actually get that phrase after their names is Joshua and King David, 1 Kings 11 and 6. So Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and did not wholly follow the Lord as David his father had done. David wholly followed the Lord. Caleb is a servant in this, in this situation. Caleb has the heart of a servant. He's not going to get bogged down by the negative crowd around him. Joshua is the one who is chosen as a successor of Moses and the military leader who God chooses to lead them into the land of Canaan. And so in our lives, we need to have people like that. So Caleb gives his report. He offers a different perspective. He offers the other side of something. He shook loose from the negative spirit and he rises up with courage and he said, let's take them on. Wait, hold on. Did you see what was over there? He said, yeah, let's go after them. Wait, hold on. Did you see how bad the report was? Yeah, let's shout in the doctor's office. Let's give God glory anyhow. Wait, did you see how much the damage was done? Yes, hallelujah. Let's give God praise anyhow. Did you see how big they were? Yeah, let's go after them. I'm ready. That's what, and it sounds crazy because he's, he's kind of by himself, right? He's going against the grain, against the popular opinion. He says we can certainly conquer it. Caleb believed that with God, every single giant that stood in their way would be conquered. He believed that no matter what the majority of everybody else said, that it was impossible. He said, I know that it is certainly possible that what I just saw can come down. So are you willing to have a different opinion from everybody else? Are you willing to stand out from everybody else that has a negative opinion? Are you willing to stand out in the crowd when the majority says no, you say yes? Do you find it easily being sucked into the negative crowd? Or do you find it easy to have a popular positive opinion all by yourself? While the report of Israel started murmuring and, and, and the, the report started being talked about, all of a sudden... The people heard it and the crowd heard it and it impacted the whole. The Bible says that they heard the negative report and in Numbers chapter 14, 1 through 4, it says then all the congregation raised a loud cry and the people wept all night long. Bunch of crybabies in your brand new shoes. 
Notice they didn't start crying till they heard the negative report. The people that went into spy and brought back the report infected the whole crowd. All the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, would that we had died in the land of Egypt or would that we had died in this wilderness? Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become prey. Would it had not been better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Oh, hold on. They're fixing to come against the ones who had gotten them to that point. This is not the first time they had said this. If you go back and read a little bit in your scripture, you'll find they say this often. Would we not have rather died in Egypt than to die here? Take us back to Egypt. Have you ever been there? Have you ever gotten to a new season of transition in your life and said, I did just rather go back to what I was doing? Amen. They cried out all the time to go back to the things the way that they used to be. Why is that? Because it's much easier to get them out of Egypt than it is to get Egypt out of them. It's a whole lot easier to deliver them out of Egypt than it is to deliver Egypt out of them. That's what God's trying to do the whole time in the wilderness is get Egypt out of them. So are you still acting like where you came from? You got to realize you ain't there no more. Their voices sang a great protest against Moses and Aaron. Negative folks come against leadership. Anytime you have negative in the crowd, the first thing they do is attack the leadership of the body. Anytime that you come against a group of people and one person starts the negative, they attack the leader. If you don't believe me, turn on the news. They just voted out the Speaker of the House. First time in American history that the own party has voted the party's Speaker of the House out of the position. Because negative people always come against leadership. They said if we had only died in Egypt or just kill us here in the wilderness, why is he taking us to this country to have us die? So here we go. This is where it gets good right here. If we jump back to Numbers Chapter 13, verse 2, we'll see what happened. Numbers chapter 13, verse 2, it said that the Lord told Moses, send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I'm giving to the people of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers, you shall send a man, everyone a chief among them, period. Wait, God didn't tell them nothing about scouting out giants. God didn't tell them one time to look at the trees. He didn't tell them one time to look at the size of the city or the strength of the people. All he told Moses to tell them was simply go look at the land and get your butt back to the house. God gave them clear instructions. So how much of your negative attitude comes from disobedience? I told you, y'all going to keep me out tonight, but I'm fine with it. If you had done what God told you to do from the beginning, 
and kept your eyes on the land in which he was giving you, then the spirit of negative would not have room to work in your life because you wouldn't have even saw that there was a giant there. He told you to look at the land. He didn't ask them to notice how indefensible the walls of the city were. He didn't ask them to look at the trees. He didn't care how big the people were. He never asked them to see how strong they were. He never asked them to look at the giants. He did not ask them to focus on anything but the promise. If you will keep your eyes on the promise that he gave you, you will avoid the negative spirit that comes upon you. God never mentioned these, any of these things because they were not relevant. Your giants are not relevant to your God. Your mountains are mohills to him. He does not care about the battle that you're going up against because he already knows the battle is won. So he told you to look at the promise, which was the land just look at the promise. Are you overlooking promises in your life because you're looking at the people? He said, I don't care what giant is on the land. Furthermore, you're the one that asked to go scope out the land. I was just answering your prayer. I didn't need for you to go scope out the land. I didn't need you to go and Deuteronomy 1 that you prayed that we might be able to go see the land. I didn't need you to do that. But because you asked for it, I'll be willing to let you go and scope it out. But just look at the land because I already know there's giants over there. I'm not concerned about them. I just want you to look at the promise. Just keep your eye on the land. Just notice the acres of diamonds. That's all I want you to do. God didn't call it a factual report. He did not say it was a well thought out report. A deeply analytical report. He called it an evil report. Because while it may have been physically true, your weapons are not carnal. You fight in the spirit, not in the physical. So don't look at the giants anyways. I'm your God telling you what to do. You focus on the promise. So what does he have to say about your report? Does your report and his report line up? In fact, this report that was received was so evil that he ended up banishing every single person aged 20 and up except for two. You say, well, God will do that? Watch. He's not fitting to dirty up his promise. Mm-mm. Numbers 14, 26 through 30, he says, And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, How long shall this wicked congregation grumble against me? I've heard the grumblings of the people of Israel, which they grumble against me. Say to them, As I live, declares the Lord, What you have said in my hearing, I will do this to you, your dead bodies shall fall in this wilderness and all of your number listed in the census from 20 years old and upward whom you have grumbled against me not one shall come into the land where I swore that I would make you accept Caleb and Joshua 
You say, well, that's harsh. When your kid disobeys you, what do you do? There's always consequence to choice. I could hear God saying in this, I will let you walk yourself to death before I'll let you go in the promised land with that ugly negative spirit on you. That's basically what he's saying. You're not taking that nasty spirit into my promise. Negative is not cute. Caleb and Joshua being the only two people exempt from that. Because God saw their spirit. Their spirit is what went and scoped out the land. Have you ever wondered in your life what you're not walking into because of the negative spirit? You can't walk into your destiny fully. That, this doesn't mean God ain't taking care of them. God's still good. They still got shoes that ain't worn out, clothes that ain't, ain't worn out. And they, they still have the promise and they still have this blessing over them. They still have the chosen. They still have all of this. You're still going to eat. You, but there's a line. You want to walk into your promised land smelling like Egypt? Not today. That's what God's saying. You're not bringing Egypt into my promise. You can't walk into what God has planned for you when your spirit can't see what he's placed before you. That's acres of diamonds. When you can't be appreciative of what God has already given you, you're not going to get the next step. When you are faithful to the few, he'll make you ruler over the many. That is what he's saying here is if you think for one second, if you mishandle what I've already given you, I'm going to give you something else. You can't walk into what God has set before you in this land flowing with milk and honey until you get your eyes off of what does not matter. The giant does not matter in the eyes of God. You can't see acres of diamonds in your life until you adopt a positive mindset. So you can feed your negative spirit by continuing to surround yourself with negative people. Or you can make a choice and say, I want to go where Caleb and Joshua are. Where are they in this church? I need to find Caleb and Joshua's and get with them. Because it's really not up to God. It's up to you. It's all about a choice. But it's hard because negative is easy. Anybody agree? Amen. The enemy loves to attack you when you're believing in God for something and about to step into a promise that God made you. Trying to start your own business and grow that. Your marriage starts to get up and going good. You ain't argued in three days. That's good. You get an unexpected blessing and a surprise, a check in the mail or something. You step into a promise that God has made you and you're like, it's finally showing up. And then the enemy comes knocking right behind it. You try to do the right things, unify your family and live according to the word and restore your marriage. And God's word is filling you with courage and you're trying and no matter the giants, no matter the walls, you got to remember to keep a positive attitude in that mess. But we develop what's called worst case scenario. We go to these places in our mindset where we say it's the worst case scenario. We call this preparing for the worst so we're not disappointed. I've been there. Might have been there this week. 
It's a mindset to look at something from a worst case scenario perspective. And we say things like, I just don't want to be disappointed or I don't want to have my mind and, and set myself up for failure. We find that these people oftentimes are hypochondriacs. If their back hurts, they got cancer. If they got an ingrown toenail, they'll never walk again. And if they sneeze, they have COVID. And if they cough, they have the flu. And they're forever at the doctor seeking professional guidance for an unprofessional situation. And it's because our, our society that we live in is saturated with negative. It's everywhere you look. I laugh because if you turn on a commercial on the TV about a new drug, they come out with the side effects worse than the drug. If you get these new eye drops, they will make your eyes fresh and healthy. But be cautioned because you may have swelling and bleeding and nausea and vomiting and it may cause blurred vision and loss of retinas and trouble breathing. I don't want the eye drops. Keep them. But we're surrounded by it. We can't even hear what the drug did for us because it's surrounded by the negative. And when's the last time you went to a movie that lifted your spirits? They're very few and far between. The news is constantly bad. Why? Because good don't sell. If we turn on the news and it was happy all the time, we'd turn it off. Negative attracts negative. TVs filled with violence and rage and murders and video games are filled with killings and shootings and hatreds and everything nowadays is a hate crime and everything nowadays is discrimination and everything nowadays is racist and the campaigns and the elections and all they do is bash one another. They don't help each other. They don't. It's all negative. We have cranktified saints in the church. Not sanctified, cranktified. They're just mad all the time, just cranky. Crankified saints. They suck their teeth. They don't like the music. I'm going somewhere because I, I, I told you this might be my last night. I'm glad Pastor ain't in here. They don't like the preaching. They don't like the color of the walls. They don't like the youth pastor. They don't like the Sunday school teacher. They have an issue with the minister of music and what he wears and what his wife wears. And they roll their eyes and they gossip to their neighbor who don't even like them. And then they get to the point where they, don't, they can't carry a tune in a bucket. And they don't have a scripture more than John 3.16. And they haven't paid 14 cents in tithes. But they show up and share their opinions. And it spreads like wildfire. But I got good news for you today, if that's you. God is not concerned with your negative attitude. You can sit there and carry on your negative attitude if you want to. But God is saying, you will walk yourself to death in your wilderness before I will let you go into my promise with that negative attitude. The majority, the, the ten, the, the ones that they feed the negative around us, but the acres of diamonds cause us to be Joshua and Caleb when everything around you is going to hell in a handbasket. When the majority of the church, when the majority of the government, when the majority of my community comes against and says we are not, you stand up and say I am. As long as it lines up with the word of God. We're in a recession or a depression, but you say God supplies all of my needs according to his riches and glory. I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor their children begging for bread. And surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And my head is anointed and my cup runneth over. How can you talk like that in this mess we're living in? Because he's still good. So here's my question. What about the grapes? 
What about the grapes? Someone say grapes. The one thing you were told to bring back. The evidence of the promise is right there in front of you. That cluster of grapes that is so big, you had to have two people of your people, or your crowd to carry it. Right there in front of the grapes, you have the nerve to be negative. You got to get your eyes off the giants and look at the grapes. If you had been looking at those grapes all the way back to Moses, you would have been shouting by the time you got to Moses. But all you could think about was the giants. What about the grapes? Those aren't normal grapes. We are not supposed to be negative and filled with doubt. We're supposed to have a victory mindset. We're supposed to look it dead in the face and say, not today, Satan. I got grapes in my house. You want to focus on the negative? I got a different report. It's too loud? Well, I choose to believe that someone here heard the word of God today. I don't like what you had on today. You better be glad I had clothes on today. How do you combat the negative? Speak truth. How do you combat the negative in your life? Speak truth. Speak it. Change the atmosphere with your words. The enemy knows that he cannot stop you from discovering your acres of diamonds if he gets you surrounded. With, he can stop you if he gets you surrounded with these negative people. And he attaches that spirit to your mindset. And it's easy to fall into that trap. But it's not about having a positive mindset only. You have to learn how to have a positive mindset and speak it. It's not about keeping your mouth shut. I've won a many battles keeping my mouth shut. But I've also wanted many speaking up too. It's about fighting against a real and active spirit of being negative that wants to destroy you by opening up your mouth and speaking the truth. By pulling the sword out and going to war. By looking at it and saying, certainly we can take it down. They spoke their peace and Caleb stood up and spoke his too. You don't have a right to be negative. I don't know everybody's story in this room, and I don't need to. Nobody in this room has the right to be negative. We'll say things like, well, you just have no idea how I feel or what I'm going through. Trade you. They use it as an excuse to walk contrary to the word of God. They say things, just leave me alone. I have a right to be depressed. They just want to justify their defeat. They'd rather defend their depression. They, they want to get to the place where they stand up and defend their dysfunction. But that's a spirit. That's how you know it is a spirit because it don't make no sense. They'd rather have a pity party than pay tithes. Sympathy rather than sanctification. It doesn't make sense. You would rather be depressed than be standing firm on the word of God. That's how you know it's a spirit. And this one's generational. Because negative people were raised by negative people. Here's the reality. None of us have the right to be negative no matter what. 
So we think about this. The spies who had returned with the evil report, they had caused the, the, the nation of Israel, all of them, just the little group of spies had caused all those millions of people. There's a ton of them there. They all start crying all night. Have you ever heard something that made you worry all night long? You wish you couldn't hurt it. I wish I'd never even heard that. Now I'm worried about it. That's how powerful it is. They cried all night long. But they forgot what God did for them. You don't have a right to cry all night long when you're standing there with Moses who was sent just to get your butt out of Egypt. And the parting of the Red Sea and the whole Pharaoh army being swallowed up and the food you were provided and the water you were provided and the shoes on your feet and the clothes on your back. All of that and you still want to complain? God has been too good to you for you to be negative. If you'll tell yourself that, you'll get yourself right out of that negative spirit. God has been too good to me for me to be negative. He has never let you go hungry and starve to death. How do I know? Because you're sitting here listening to me. Half breathing, but still here. Your back may hurt, but you're still here. You may be tired, but you're still here. That's how you know God's been too good to you. You don't have a right to be negative. So what do you do? You set the standard like Caleb and Joshua did. You set the standard even if it's a different standard, even when it don't make sense. When negative people get around positive people, they get annoyed very quickly. They can't stand being around positive people. Here's a new flash. Positive people can't stand being around you either. So we got to set the standard. Negative attracts negative. And if you remember, Moses handpicked those spies. And each one was a leader of their nation. So a representative, a person that was a representative of a greater crowd. And that representative, that leader comes and brings a negative report and it affects the whole group. So what does that mean for us? Your negative attitude affects your household. You might not got nations upon nations living at your house. But if you got two or three at your house, your negative attitude will affect it. I can make the whole atmosphere of my house turn upside down in 3.2 seconds. See, amen from the back, I told you. And when we realize that, when we understand the power that we have over our home, the dominion we have over our house... We can't bring that mess in our house. It doesn't matter how bad our day is. You just walked into a house. If you're a parent, it's your responsibility to lead your nation, your family. That negative spirit cannot enter into your house on your kids. If you're a boss, you go to your office and you bring with you a positive spirit. You speak truth over your place of work. You can tell all the offices that have negative leadership. They all talk about one of each other and they're all friends on Facebook. If you're in leadership like a pastor of a church or a group or anything in your life, it falls on the leadership to make sure there's not a negative spirit in the group. So we got to set the standard. Set the bar high. Don't give in to criticism. If someone comes to you running their mouth about me, please bring them to me. I'm telling you that just to sir. I'm holding this microphone. If they come to you running their mouth about our pastor, please bring them to me.
and him. We can't have division and negative in our body because when other people come in, they'll feel it. They'll feel it. If you have a spirit of gossip and division, that's undermining leadership. And that divides the church. It's low-key witchcraft. And if you want to go get on your broom and fly out of here, I'd be fine with it. It's the truth. It happens in churches all the time. To undermine leadership is a spirit of witchcraft. So don't feed into whining. We don't need crybaby Christians. Watch who you keep company with. If it's just you and Joshua, it's just you and Joshua. We need people around us that will stand up and say, look at the standard. I know what it looks like, but did you see the grapes? I know there was giants over there, but does anybody see the grapes that we brought back with us? Can anybody look at the grapes? If you'll get your eyes off the giant and look at the grapes, you will get that evil spirit right out of your house. So what do we do? We've got to get to the place that we have expectation in our life. Expectation is the breeding ground for miracles, but it's also the breeding ground for destruction. I promise you I didn't get a chance to talk to them, but Caleb and Joshua expected to see the promise when they got there. And the others probably expected to see giants. So it's time that we start setting the standard every single service when we come here in this place, in this house. Expect to worship. Expect God to fall. Expect souls to be saved. Expect this place to be rocked with the house of the, of the Spirit of the Lord. I need you to expect pain to leave and miracles to happen and, and drug addicts to be delivered. If you will start expecting that when you come in here on Sundays and we look at the grapes, we won't have a chance to look at the giants. Psalms 119 and 126 says, Lord, it's time for you to act. That's an expectation. Lord, I expect you to move. So don't look back. From this day forward, don't look over at the giants. Don't look at Egypt. Don't look at nothing else but the grapes. That's acres of diamonds. You serve a God that's greater than your faith. You do understand that, right? Your faith is good, but you serve a God that's greater than your faith. I'm so glad that we're not dependent upon my faith every single day. He's greater than my faith. He's greater than your prayer life. He cannot forget you. Because he's a God that he cannot lie. And he made a promise. So he cannot forget you. He can't take the grapes back. He can't take the promise away. That'd make him a liar and he is not that. So my question to you today is, what are you looking at? What are you expecting when you get there? What are you looking for in your life? What report do you choose to believe? Do you choose to be surrounded with Caleb's and Joshua's? Because there's only going to be two or three at your table. Or do you choose to be with the crowd that it's popular but it's, it's rough, man. Nobody's happy. 
I mean, they said they had a good day, but they said the land was flowing with milk and honey, but my prayer is that we start to expect grapes and that we carry them with us everywhere we go. You have no right to gripe when you have grapes. You just brought back the biggest grapes you ever would lay your eyes on. And you're going to have a, a, a mindset of negative? No, not in this house. That's what you tell yourself. Not in, no more, not in this house. God has been too good to us for us to complain anymore. And when it starts to creep in, because it will, it comes into my house often, and we have to tell it to get out. Because remember, my house is not what you would see on Facebook. We have to speak truth over our house all the time. Not today, Satan. You will not come up in here today. We might not talk to each other for three and a half hours, but you're not coming up in here today. No, sir. You expect for this place to be the place where lives are changed. And it will be. You expect for your house to be prosperous and to have a land flowing with milk and honey. When you expect it and you stop listening to what everybody else is saying, it will happen. Because he is a God that he cannot lie. And his promises are yes and amen. And he will not wreck his reputation on you. Not one time. So if you'll stand with me, I want you to ask God to let you become that positive influence in your realm, in your world. How do I do that? The only way to speak truth is to learn the word of God. I learned that the hard way. The word of God is the only truth that is true from the front to the back. And if you'll speak it, nobody can argue with it. It will cut going and coming. It will reprove and rebuke. If you'll just wake up in your house and declare scripture over your home, if you'll learn scripture in your job, and when they start coming in with negative attitudes and you start quoting scripture, it will hush. I promise you it will because it's a spirit and it has to move when the word of God enters the picture. So if you want to know how to combat that negative in your life, learn the word of God and speak it. Be a Caleb and stand up for the contrary and say, I got a different report. I saw it, but I know we can take it down. That's what you tell yourself. Focus on the grapes. Father, I love you and I thank you for your word. God, I ask that you go with us this week and keep us and guide us and direct us. Lord, I ask that you open up our eyes that we only focus on the promises that you made us. And those promises are yes and amen, that you are for us and not against us, God. That we will focus on the things that matter to you and not the things that are irrelevant. God, I ask that you keep us and guide us and direct us as a body, Father, that we could grow. That this house, this place, this church would be a place of expectation and not of negative. God, I ask that you continue to pour your blessings out upon us, continue to modify us and move us, and, and continue to develop us in character that we may become exactly what you have planned for us in our lives. I thank you for all that you do for us, and I praise you for your precious holy name. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. amen.